I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Cam the Provocateur. And we're from the Spy Hards Movie Podcast. That's right. And you are listening to Pods Like Us, the podcast that has a license to thrill. Hello and welcome to Pods Like Us. I'm Martin Quibell, known to my friends as Marv, and this time I'm speaking with uh, one of the co-hosts of the fabulous Beatles-related podcast, When There Was Fab, Mr. John Stone. Hey, John, Hello. thanks for speaking with me. Oh, my pleasure. How are you? I'm okay. I know it's a bit weird when you chat for a while and then suddenly it's like you're trying to pretend that you haven't talked before and it's like, how are you? Uh, well, I've been talking well, to you for 10 minutes, but I'm okay. <laughs> you know, there's just this basic civil politeness that you've got to go through step, step, step. So it's, that's, it's, true. Uh, that's true. But then I again, know when, you're doing great. When there was fabs, probably the same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you probably don't start the when there was fab chat until you've uh, until you've been talking for 15 20 minutes probably. That's exactly right. You know, it's like, okay, do we start recording now? And I'm like, we haven't already started? I thought we yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I'm it's, always recording. <laughs> well, okay. I'll keep that in mind. So, are you recording so, the recording? Yes. All right. Well, sort of well, Zencaster's recording us. Like, um, just a word to everybody, I'm using Zencaster for the first time. Ah, get Zencaster today. Hmm. See how, so, it, see how it works differently to Zoom, which is what I'm used to. Well, we just did a little commercial for it, so hopefully you can be compensated. That's right. And uh, when they was fab, that's recorded with Zencaster. So if you want to give uh, either of us um, free use of your service, then we'll be very happy for that. Thank you very much. Sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so what do we talk today? So first up then, John, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, like, like I said before we started, it, it's more about you as a person because I've, I've, I've already had uh, Ed on the show and we've spoken about how the show's put together and how he records it and basically the, uh, the technicalities of the show. So an interesting one because I know that you're a fellow musician. What's your musical background? As an in, as a musician, uh, John. Well, are are you talking influences or or the history of it? Well, the history. I mean, you know. So so okay. Then we'll go to this one first. So, what would you say is your first musical memory or your earliest one that you can you know remember? The first musical memory would be uh, 
a little 45 RPM player that my yeah. parents got for me. And my first two records uh, were The Ballad of the Alamo and uh, The Naughty Lady of Shady Lane by the Ames <laughs> Brothers. Yeah. Um, don't know how long I listened to those records, but they definitely made an impact. So, you know, it was that, and, you know, I was born in the southern part of the United States in Texas. And um, so, you know, I listened to the radio, which was different in my youth because it was wide ranging and you could hear uh, Frank Sinatra and Roger Miller and the Beatles and Donovan. And, you know, it was just all there so uh it was a completely different listening experience than it is now and um my parents were both musicians my mother taught strings in the public schools and my dad sang barbershop wow Um, and so music was always in the house and you know i listened to uh soundtrack albums and I, mean, I was definitely into music, but then, you know, the Beatles showed up and it totally wiped everything else out. It's like the, the slate is clean. I'm listening to this. So when did you first hear the Beatles and think, wow, what was, what was that actual uh, moment? Well, I'm, I'm a first generation, you know, um, yeah. So, uh, first memory was Ed Sullivan. Um, I had heard, I want to hold your hand on the radio and it was like the, the big song school kids were talking about it. Uh, and so when they showed up on Sullivan's show, it was like, Oh my gosh. And then there was just this, uh, onslaught of fan magazines and, uh, you know, the radio constantly pushed it pushing them and here in the states with the uh the top five all being beatles songs plus others lower down in the charts it was you know all encompassing my, my, my sister was three years older and so she was really in the uh the demographic and so um the the initial things were all hers you know um but I listened to them. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Where I was going to go somewhere with that, and um, <laughs> completely yeah. lost lost track of what I was going to say there. But um, I mean, I mean, really, radio stations like you 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 were mentioning to me, to me personally, uh, I prefer radio stations that are like that that aren't specific to a type of uh, of music because. I have a love of all sorts of music, you know, like when I was talking to somebody this morning in, in one of their shows as a guest, I was going to mention before we started this that um, I seem to be throwing out names there, like I was mentioning uh, Bob Dylan and obviously the Beatles came into it and Queen and right. um, and then surprised him because then I started bringing in, uh, obviously, Ravi Shankar. I have a, I have a love of, of, of Ravi and, and his daughter Anushka. Yes, Shankar yes, as well. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, and then suddenly caught him out because I'm throwing out um, oh, um, Philip Glass and Steve Reich and those sort of artists, and he's sort of saying, 
wow, I never really expected you to come out with things like that. And I said, well, you know, people, <laughs> you don't always, you know, people, people surprise you. And I think that's one of the good things. But also I think it shows that I think it's good to have, uh, you know, a wide, varied taste in different types of media. Absolutely, absolutely. It's funny you mentioned that group of names because one of my favorite albums is uh, called Passages by Ravi Shankar and Philip Glass. Absolutely. It's just amazing. So, so um, um, what was it? Um, was it Sounds of India or something I picked as one of my uh, right. uh, albums to take with me to a desert island? I think that was... <laughs> right. Right, because I, I, I would point, take uh, I would take ten oh. albums and then forget the record players. So. <laughs> yes, and then curse yourself for forgetting the record player. <laughs> All I could do is just sit and look at the album covers. Anyway, well, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I picked I picked albums. I think were I think all of them are from that era where packaging was all a part of the the whole artwork. So you know you get. So the Beatles one I picked uh, would would have been the White Album. Um, it's, it's a bit of a cheat, really, in a way, because I think one of the reasons I picked the the White Album was because of how much is on there, in a way. But I would also say that it's probably my favourite Beatles album, uh, the White Album, because of the variety that's on there. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, they're all albums from that period when you know, like I said, artwork was all a part of the whole thing. Where now. You buy songs now, you know these people that buy songs online. It's like a little picture on your t- on your your telephone or right. something. And it's not quite the same. Not not at all. I, you know, uh, I remember the the whole thing of you know you're waiting for the next album. Yeah. You know, later fans had all the albums, and they could they could be introduced to the Beatles at any point in their career. You know, maybe you were introduced with Rubber Soul, or maybe it was Pepper, or maybe it was Abbey Road, you know. Yeah. But, you know, I was waiting for, for each album. And the, the packaging was huge. Yeah. You know, um, I remember distinctly going into a store and seeing these four beautiful color portraits of the band and i you know i wanted to buy those and went up to the yeah. counter and it's like well no they're they're in an album that's coming out uh which i got for christmas and you know you could just sit even though it's it's a white album you could yep. sit with the you know the the uh, poster and the pictures and you know there just wasn't a lot of bands to do that no, I mean it was uh, when when the Beatles brought out um, Sergeant Pepper. It was rare for albums to have the lyrics in them, and then and then you got the uh, the enormous poster with the white album, and and uh, I mean I'm 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 younger than yourself, so my introduction would have been through Paul. Uh, my parents' love of Paul's music and the Beatles for that as, as a solo artist, as a member of Wings. Okay. So, okay. The, so my my initial first memory would be of, funnily enough, I think um, it's not the the album that most people would pick, 
but Red Rose Speedway would would be my introduction to the music yeah. through that because we had that, and uh, I remember that being played a lot at home, and yeah. and that was another one of those where you had all that packaging in there, and you had the the cutouts. <laughs> You know, you right. could, you could cut out all this, that, and the other, and sort and, of do things the, with them, and it, got the braille on back. You know, yes, for Stevie, for Stevie yeah. Wonder, yeah, that message for yeah. Stevie Wonder. Uh, so we must have got that around the same time as we got the red and the blue. Um, that, yeah, that was seventy three. And then right. later in the year, they got the. Uh, I mean, I was only blimey. So I was born in November <laughs> of nineteen seventy. So. I remember uh, Red Rose Speedway as a two-year-old. Yeah, um, it had an impact. It did. And uh, and then Band on the Run we got in November when it came out, or was it October, which would have been just before my third birthday. And so, yeah, and I became fascinated then. As I got older, I got even more into the Beatles. And I'm one of those people that... Um, I remember going to visit people's houses, and uh, I, I do it to this day. I'll visit there, or, or I used, used to do it anyway. I don't do it so much now because people don't have records. And the first thing you could do would be go, to go to their records, and it's almost like you know who the person is based on their record collection. That's absolutely true. You know, I, that's how I introduced myself to a lot of friends. Was I would just sit in front of their record collection and yeah. and go through it, and you could tell kind of where they were you know what, what type of stuff they listened to yeah uh, it, was, it was that was a way to do it but, um you also discover new music that way as well because i found that i'd be looking at people's record collections and i'd be like "Ooh, i've, I've heard owner of a lonely heart but i've heard nothing else by yes what are the, what's the rest of it like what's that right. like that you've got there and then i or, went or, down that rabbit hole and got into them and or when you find someone with, with uh, you know, six Cat Stevens albums, you go, hmm, okay. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, clearly this person has continued to be interested in them, and uh, you, you do get introduced to new music that way. Yeah. I mean, I remember, the, I remember somebody mentioned, uh, what was it? Uh, they, they loaned me the, the vinyl album of Hot Rats by... Um, um, Frank Zappa, and that's how I got oh. into Frank Zappa was through Hot Rats because he said, "Well, you like jazz, you like jazz, obviously because of Miles Davis. You might like this." So, right, it's the way that it works with music, and I think, yeah, I, I had um, older cousins and, and an older sister, and so the college music that they kind of introduced me to college music at that time. But that's how I came to, uh, Frank Zappra, you know, um, I think the first time I heard was we're only in it for the money, but, uh, um, you know, I, I got into later Rolling Stones cause I had listened to them and then kind of dropped them. But then it was like, Oh, you know, that's good. And, uh, you do Elton Sean, you know, uh, Tumbleweed Connection. That was a huge album for me. Yeah. That's a great album. That, that's a great period for Elton as well around that era. Yeah. I I, <laughs> I tend to be a little critical of Bernie Taupin. Um, I have this running okay. joke. Uh, 
in that, you know, uh, he, he can tend to write lyrics that are just unfathomable that, you know, make no sense. And, uh, but on that album, he, that is his best album. I think he just really hits it all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hey there, this is Bobby with the Rock Guys Podcast, and you are listening to Marv Smooth on the Pods Like Us Podcast. Check him out. So, I, I, like, I like Good Goodbye Yellow Brick Road as well. The song or the album? I, th- I think the song is one of Elton and Bernie's best uh, yeah. songs. I, I love the song so much. Yeah. It's, it's incredibly clever. It's, prob- it's one of Bernie's best set of lyrics, I think, the way that he strings the whole thing together. I agree. And then I, th- I think it's the perfect marriage of Ber- Bernie's lyrics with, with Elton's music. And th- those, those progressions in that are incredible. And the melody, it's, wow. Th- th- there's no way that he can sing, sing that now. <laughs> right. I saw him once uh, on television, um, the actor's workshop, and, and uh they gave him a book. Some student in the audience handed him a book, and he sat and wrote a song based on a page in that book. And you know, hmm. you'd, sharp, you'd sharpen it up in the end, but what he composed on you know in the spur of the moment was amazing. I was just like, wow, that's you know, that's talent when you can just kind of pick stuff up like that and and put together phrases that you're reading basically for the first time i mean his phrasing was yeah, kind yeah, of wow yeah. well, so i have i haven't seen anything like it since i watched paul mccartney this weekend <laughs> you know just being able to pick stuff out of the air yeah. oh yes when, when he did that with get back that was that was astounding you know yeah. to watch that i think i think i posted up about it and i put that shows you the creative um how create creativity works i mean you can see it there on camera it's just like from nothing to a great rock song to something. It's, it's amazing yeah i mean the funny thing is while they're still kind of playing around with it they're not real sure what they're doing with it several times the melody line they sing is the exact melody line to the ruddles get up and go Maybe Neil had a see the Ruttles, they were really good because they, they you know they did uh, they were that close to the musical styling of the Beatles. It was almost frightening how close they were to those rhythms and to the, the to the melodies and, and everything really. The second album that they put out, which is called Archaeology is i can't recommend it highly enough it's the best album the beatles never made it's just really incredible yeah take that claw too yes <laughs> indeed indeed <laughs> <laughs> who weren't the beatles but i do like their version of calling occupants yeah as opposed to the carpenters so um, what what so then then you you became a musician yourself then based on this I mean what what inspired you to I mean what instruments do you play and 
And what what experience have you got? What bands have you played in? I mean, have you toured and all that sort of thing? I'm writing down all these questions. Um, well, what Sorry, happened that was, multiple was questions. <laughs> that's okay. What happened was, uh, uh, as I said, my my sister was really into collecting the stuff, but then she kind of grew up and she wasn't as interested in the Beatles so much as other groups. But the first single I went out and bought was the paperback writer. And it was the flip side that just okay. blew me away. I mean, I loved rain. Uh, I listened to that on that rain what is an incredible song. Oh gosh. You know, it, it puts me in a trance almost. Um, and so then I was the the Beatle collector, and uh, uh, you know I have a son who we talk about. You may be playing video games too much, but then I think my parents probably thought he listens to the Beatles way too much <laughs> because I did. I listened, you know, <laughs> I just listened to those records constantly, um, and um, I can't really put a date to it specifically, but. Uh, we had moved into a new house. I had to mow the lawn and, um, in mowing the lawn, okay. I would just sing songs to myself and not other people's songs, but stuff I was making up. And that kind of, uh, was the beginning of a, of a songwriting career. And, uh, so I learned how to play guitar and, as I said, my mother taught strings. Okay. We had a piano in the house. And so I would play around with stuff. And, you know, by about 1970, when you were born, I was writing songs. They were pretty bad, but I was writing them. So, um, and I think very few of us write good songs at the first point. Yeah. Or, or, or the. 100th point it's it, it takes a while because you you know um and there'll be songs that you finish and you go well that's pretty good until about three months later when you go wow that really stinks um because you can fool yourself um but it just kind yeah. of progressed in a natural sense until um i graduated from high school and by that time had joined up with a friend who uh played keyboards and uh, we began writing together and I still wrote a part and um, that became the first band that I could call professional where I would go and play in clubs that was called Aster and okay. um, Aster good name we uh we played definitely a good seventies name. <laughs> yes. And we played music of, uh, you know, local influence. As I said, being brought up in Texas, there's lots of blues, lots of country. Um, and so I tended to try to create things that would appeal to local audiences. Um, and did that for a couple of years until I decided that's not really, you know, what I loved. I, I loved a different kind of music. And um, 
And the permission for me to do that came with uh, Elvis Costello. Yeah. Um, who I just found to be a remarkable songwriter and lyricist extraordinaire. And um, so then I began to write what could be called, I don't know, uh, at first it was kind of a pop, and then it was, you call it new wave. It eventually became what people called adult alternative. So I find, you know, trying to explain music in a in a niche is kind of hard because I never felt like I was any of that. I was just doing what I did. Yeah, it's the same as um, I mean the the Beatles. I don't I don't call the Beatles a rock and roll band. I think they're all sorts of genres, and I think to uh, for a lot of groups to just you know limit them to saying oh they're this type of band or that type of band. I'm not right. particularly a fan. I'm not particularly a fan of the whole uh, you know genre you know genre defining um, thing. I, I I just like music because I like music. Yeah. Right, um, because music is a language, you know. I've, as I've gotten older, you know, some of my friends have gone through the whole thing of uh, some of my music, musical friends, like uh, they didn't like, you know, hip hop at all, mm. uh, and they might may like some of it now, but at the beginning it was just, you know. Ugh. Rap is crap. That's what I heard a bunch of bunch of times. Um, but I kept thinking, well, you know, it's a language. Maybe this wasn't written for you. No. It, it no. doesn't make it bad. It's just, you know, you don't read westerns. I mean, you, you, you kind of find what you like, and you make that musical journey. But to just go, well, that thing over there is really bad is stupid it's like somebody not eating pizza saying that they don't that they think pizzas are awful <laughs> right right that's exactly right what's up everybody this is chris from the podcast real film reviewed and you're listening to marv on pods like us you know i i can we jump into some of the get back stuff we can mentioned something about the get back thing i didn't know if we were going to try to do this chronologically or whether we could bounce around i, d- I don't mind bouncing around i mean i'm I'm, in- I'm intrigued to find out your history with ed and um and and um lonnie as well you're friends with both of them i do know both of them yes yep um uh, uh lonnie i knew from just being in the the beetle scene in houston you know there'd be you know events where we'd have a, a Beatles night or things like that. And then we'd see each other at the, uh, Beatle fests and, and, uh, we had friends in common. So I just had a, you know, long time history with them. He, uh, he did video recording for several bands in, in Houston. Okay. So he was known to me that way. And, uh, just kind of knew each other through the, the Beatles scene. Um, never played with him or anything, but, um, yeah. and Ed to me through, I guess, 
uh, Lonnie, and I think Darren Murphy may have mentioned me as well, just because, you know, we're all kind of beetle beetles and and we talked about it and we collected bootlegs and would trade and uh that sort of thing so uh now darren and i did do some recording together but that's how i came to ed i didn't know him at all and he called me up and we talked and it was just kind of a matter of uh i didn't know really anything about the podcast world i'd done a couple uh regarding uh, a history project i'm working on yeah but uh you know it was just basically hey i have this beetle podcast and do you want to do it it's like well i'll give it a shot and see what happens and it seems to have worked pretty well We, we uh we all never run out of things to say and i guess that's probably no. the main requirement <laughs> just keep talking the, the thing is that i mean th- th- there's always something happening in the beatles world to talk about absolutely absolutely um and and that's the you know the whole basis behind the podcast is that you know when you particularly this year with the all things was pass box and the let it be box and the plastic on a band box and the get back documentaries. I mean, <laughs> we haven't run out of, of things yet. Um, so it's been fun, you know, uh, and through that, I'm starting to listen to more podcasts because I just never really did that much. No, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world. It takes up your time. There is. Are most of those podcast Beatles related, or, or, or is it a bit open? Well, they are now. <laughs> um, since I've been kind of introduced to this world, um, you know, uh, I, I'm doing research on this project, and it takes up a lot of time, so I have to go, what am I going to watch? You know, or what? Am, how am I going to spend my time? So. Um, I have a little time set aside for podcast weekly and uh, now, but I also am watching the foundation. <laughs> so. Okay. Yes. I need to watch that at some point. So um, what is it's your opinion good. of the get back? Just very gone. Jump. I just, yeah, I said, it's very, very good uh, foundation. It's uh, well done. So, um, so, what is your general opinion my, then of the Get Back um, documentary? Well, my general opinion is I, I've had a great time uh, watching it. Um, I was careful to watch it all through first without trying to take notes or or anything like that, um, just to get the experience and, and not have to study, so to speak. So, um, lots of great moments in there. And, um, you know, I, I, I have lines that float through my head from it. I think one of one thing that George said, uh, when Paul is trying to, uh, 
instruct him as to how he thinks the tune should go. And George goes, I can only do me. Yeah. And, uh, and I think, uh, that may be the beginning of him saying that, you know, before it's like, uh, he would accommodate and, and be bossed. But now it's like, you know, it's me. <laughs> and if, if you can play it and you want it that way, you could do it. But if, if you want me to be part of this, then I get to be me. Yeah. Um, I think John goes into a similar similar thing as well, doesn't he? Where he's mentioning that um, that Paul um, he thinks that Paul sometimes takes offence because they're not playing exactly what Paul envisaged as being the song, and right. and essentially sort of saying, well, you know, we we, we are a band, so we play right. what we play, you know, and you know, we're, we're not, we're not here, Paul you McCartney know? sidemen. Essentially, I mean, yeah, but yeah, and then there, there's there's a difference between making suggestions and directing, yeah. And so I think he'd fallen into the directing. There, there's one part that I thought was real fascinating was when they're it's really early on and they're working on "Don't Let Me Down," mm-hmm. and you know it's introduced by. Uh, John clearly had that chorus, but yeah. the verses are completely different, mm. different melody, yeah. different chords. Uh, as a matter of fact, it, it's kind of one of his list things where he goes, everybody's got to, you know, yeah. he, he's not singing. Uh, I've got a feeling, but he's, it's, it's a similar structure. Tis. Anyway, they have that and they're working on the don't let me down. And, and George is singing a harmony, which kind of sets the tone of what that, how that sounds well paul comes in and you know they're playing around and before you know it paul is telling george to play this certain arpeggio and then tells ringo what to play and then he he and george sing or he's directing uh sing this harmony to what john is singing Uh, it's actually an answer yeah. You know, I'm in love for the first time, Dad. And then they sing uh, an answer back. And the song is taking a definite turn to something smoother and sweeter. Yep. You know, whereas John wants to sing, Don't let me down, you know. <laughs> and so Paul is clearly taking John's song and directing it a different way. Yeah. And and that's something John later talks about is like sometimes, you know, you just take it a direction <laughs> we didn't want. Yeah. Or that the song didn't want. I mean, sometimes Paul is right with some of his suggestions, but sometimes in circumstances like that, it's not quite right what it's not quite what the song needs. I think that's exactly but I mean, you virtually quoted John. Yeah. You know, so yeah, sometimes you are right. Sometimes you're wrong, you know, uh, and, and the dynamic in it, you know, Paul just kind of gets really frustrated and puts his guitar down and stands up and, you know, I'm, I'm scared of me being the boss and, and, uh, and then says, I don't want to do this on camera. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's clearly, it's, it's 
the the narrative is it's George and John who are totally unhappy, but Paul is unhappy too. Yeah, because he doesn't like where they, where they are now. Um, right. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a difficult one because I think uh, there was a conversation with somebody who responded to something on a Facebook thing that I put about, I put it on there about the, you know, being absolutely wow moment of that with the get back where he suddenly creates get back from, from thin air. And um, and then somebody responded to it about about Paul being the reason for the the split or whatever. And I said, well, not really. I said because I said if you think about it, Paul, you know, some people can't might call it pushing, but on from another point of view, you might see it as being guiding. You know, he was sort of like guiding the Beatles to, well, you know, Sergeant Pepper's is finished now. We need to work on this film and the music for Magical Mystery Tour and then from there well we've got all these songs that we wrote in India let's let's put them all together and do a double album and then five six weeks after the double album's gone out let's go into Twickenham and we'll we'll do this and we'll we'll have 14 songs for a concert in 21 days and so yeah well certainly he he was the you know a big force behind it and I think that uh Lennon once said that um, uh, they would have been just happy, you know, staying at home. Um, but but that when when Epstein died, um, he didn't have any. Uh, oh God, what, what is the quote? I mean, he he had he didn't think they could do anything, you know, he, he, that that they didn't know how to do this. No. Brian did this, you know, they wrote music and made records and that's what they did. And, um, and so he recognized that and I'm sure McCartney recognized that and thought, well, we have to press on. Brian's not here to say, okay, so the next project is the next film is. And so he had to do it because John wasn't going to. Hey, this is Greg at Bad Counsel. You want some good counsel? Keep listening to Pods Like Us with Marv and Down with Monarchy. <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd arguably say that really the, the, the split of the Beatles was an inevitability in a way because they, um, they'd they all come to a stage where, and, and I mean, I think Paul realised it eventually, but they'd all come to a stage where they um there was too much there for them to be stuck i mean you know it, it goes to the the thing of what george said you know about having all that material and nothing to do with it so they'd all got to that stage where they'd there was too much material to whittle it down to a single album of three or four johns by each john up or four songs or however many songs by each of them and then george gets this and maybe ringo gets one song or something, but it got to a stage where they were stifling themselves creatively. They had too much there to be able to put into that. Yeah. I mean, you you also see McCartney just having a wealth of material around him. Yeah. You know, um, because 
certainly there are a whole bunch of songs that were going to end up on Abbey Road, but there, you know, there were other songs that weren't even covered in, in the movie no. or the documentary. I mean, Every Night and Hottest Sun and, you know, some of these other songs that were floating around. Um, he had that. Uh, and George, in that period of time, you know, he, he wrote I Me Mind. Yep. He wrote Hear Me, Lord. Um, he wrote Wawa. Mm-hmm. He did, and so he was, and and he we watched him kind of come up with uh, Old Brown Shoe. So you know he was writing pretty fast as well. So um, I mean, if 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 George had been a bit more, um, um, I dare I say, push you with it. I think from the first couple of days when they were doing All Things Must Pass, if after that first weekend it have come back on the Monday, I I think that would have been a really good Beatles song. Oh, yeah. But he, yeah. he seemed to come back after that weekend and it was like, oh, I've got this other song. And we, we never saw her or heard from All Things Must Pass ever again until All Things Must Pass. Right. Well, and and... The truth is, is I mean, mine never comes back up. No, right? No, no. So, so I mean, mine got included because it was in the film, and they came back in 1970 to record it. But for you, Blue was the one con- uh, contribution from George to this, as far as going into it. And we know he had a whole bunch of other songs laying around. So. But like you said with Paul, I mean, you know. You can see it even in the in the in the film, you know. And like you said, there's some songs that weren't included in all of that. Cause obviously, you can't have a documentary film that's 56 hours long or whatever. So, um, <laughs> well, you could, but, but... <laughs> um, well, we could. Thank thank you very much. We, we want that on the extended version on Blu-ray. Thanks. Yes. But, yes. Um, yes, please. <laughs> well, I, I understand um, they're going to put. There's talk about five more hours on the on the DVD when it comes out, and. Uh, and all that being is, is like people be going, well, where's the other 45 hours? That's true. You will never please everybody. I mean, even if you put out the entirety of it, some people will go, well, it's a bit over right. long. I mean, even now, people, some people are moaning about <laughs> yes. it being too long now. And Well, I, I would agree that this is for, this is aimed at all those people who have been with the Beatles, guaranteed, we'll go out and buy anything and yeah. everything that it comes out uh for casual people coming to it uh it's it's a little long and uh i watched the first part with my sisters who are all totally familiar with my uh my beetle thing and the only way it remained interested interesting for them is when we paused it every once in a while and they'd ask me well what does this mean you know what, what is that who is that and and so, you know, I kind of narrated some of the stuff, but everybody doesn't get to have my my knowledge. Yeah, yeah I've had the same <laughs> as thing. As they watch yeah, this. I've had the same thing with Louise while we've been while we've been watching it and that's why probably why we've only got through one part one at the moment. But you know, so yeah, I've been doing that occasionally. Louise Louise will sort of like say, Oh, <laughs> you know, she'll she'll sort of like stick a finger up or whatever now, you know, so as not to right, interrupt. Right. She'll go she'll and then I'll press pause, and then she'll ask. She'll go. So who's that? And I'm going. Well, 
that's uh, that's the lovely Mal Evans, and you know, and uh, <laughs> right. I said, and I said, right. I do know that very soon you'll you'll get a bit where he's got this incredible grin when he's doing doing the anvil. I mean, what what a smile! Yeah, that, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. you know, I do notice he the, loved the, those Jack- guys. Oh yeah, for sure. I I do notice in in Jackson's version that Mal plays uh, the anvil in time. Yeah. Whereas with uh, Michael Lindsay Hogg, there were several times where it was like not not right, and I don't know whether that's Hogg's editing or or what. But I remember I listened to. I don't know if you hear heard any of it. Did you hear the um, the interview? I mean, crikey, they did well, didn't they? Things we said today. They had an interview with Peter Jackson. I I started to listen to it, but I was in the midst of our Thanksgiving holidays, and so oh, yeah. I haven't had a chance to but to listen to, to it. I mean, Peter Jackson's clearly a fan, absolutely. And what one and so, point, one point that he made, which I think he was completely right, was he was talking about the time of the piece, uh, and saying that you know they they were, they were restricting him. I think I think originally they wanted a one hour and forty minute film, or, or something, and and then Peter right. Jackson said, well, you, you want a one hour and forty minute long film, but in that you want the entirety of the concert on on the roof, which is forty two <laughs> right. minutes. He says, so he, he goes, y- you're losing 42 minutes there to that. He says, that leaves you with 58 minutes to tell a story that lasts for 22 days. He said, so you, you'll have one and a half to two minutes per day to go with that. And he, he sort of said, so that's why it's had to be as long as it is, he said, because otherwise you're not really getting an idea of what goes on from day to day by just going right. clip to clip to clip to clip in that sort of speed. So I, I can right. see why he's gone that way. Well, uh, Michael Lindsay's Hogg's uh, initial cut of Let It Be was like three and a half hours. Yes. And so, um, I mean, that was the original film. And I think that one of the reasons why Let It Be as a movie seems so disjointed is because they had to cut out at two hours Yeah, in order to make the film that was supposed to be delivered. And, you know, I've always had a criticism of that, uh, let it be because it's like whoever cut it together was not a musician. Um, had no understanding of how to cut things. And, and cause it was just, you know, random slicing of, of songs. Um, and, uh, and, and I know why they did that because, you know, you're saving up everything for the big payoff, which is the rooftop concert. So you don't want to play all the songs first and then, you know, play them at the end. It's not going to have the impact, but he had to slice that film up. Um, which is why, you know, Peter Jackson has a lot of Ringo doing what he called looning about. And, and, uh, (laughs) Yeah. He he felt like, oh my gosh, all my good Barts were taken out. And they were, and Peter Jackson has restored them. So now we get to see him doing that stuff. And, and uh, yeah. you know. I, I, he farted. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Hello, everybody. This is Ryan. 
And this is Avery. And we are from the Frame by Frame King Crimson podcast. And you are listening to Pods Like Us. Some great comedy in there. And, uh, you know, the other, another telling scene is the, uh, oh, wait. Say, you've only seen the first part, right? Is that what you said? Yes, but I've heard podcasters talking about it, so I sort of know things that are going to happen. <laughs> well, you know what's what's coming. Yeah, I, I don't want to. You know, uh, don't I mean, want to yeah. ruin it for you. It's, it's a but, strange but, one, really. You know, because you say, "Oh, you know, no spoilers or whatever," and then you think, "Yeah, but I know where it turns out." Really? Yeah. Well, it's yeah. a story that you know well, where it's going in a sense. Yes. Yes. Uh, some surprises along the way that I, I never, you know, knew. Um, uh, and so that's cool. I, I guess here, here's a scene I can refer to. And, and that is when uh, John is, John and Paul and Ringo and some others are sitting around and they're talking about stuff. Uh, and John goes, Maybe in an altered state. I don't know. I, I get from McCartney's reaction that he, he is, because he says something about, do we have to do this in public? <laughs> yeah. um, but John is uh, hilarious. <laughs> I mean, yes. what he says is incredible, but you can also see that Paul is slightly embarrassed. Um, and not particularly patient with John's behavior. Can't say anything. It's John Lennon. Yeah. But uh, he's not happy with it. Yeah. Uh, and then but there's Louise, that whole Louise awkward thing. Louise watching part one, Louise kept saying to me, she, she, yeah. oh, all right. Oh, yes. Louise said to me, she said she didn't, she didn't realize how funny John Lennon is. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's hilarious. But, you know, um, he's so funny that even in the midst of that scene, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when Paul is kind of put out, John said, "Oh, he." John makes the reference of uh, the Boy Scouts and, and masturbation, and says, "You know, I'm here to tell you, you don't go blind, but you get very nearsighted." <laughs> and and uh, and Paul just totally cracks up. You know, even though he's annoyed you know john lennon is funny <laughs> dear me that's that is funny it's a good job i took a sip of coffee after you'd said that <clears throat> oh <laughs> right so um so okay then so what, what was your actual introduction to podcast yeah well i well i i you know i would listen to things usually npr type podcasts and uh you know scientific things that interest me um but uh i've been working on this book and uh my cousin has a podcast uh coming out of central texas he's a newspaper uh editor and um and so i had been talking to him about my progress on this book and so he asked me to come on and um we talked and it 
apparently proved to be a very popular show. And so I ended up doing, I don't know, two or three more. And that kind of coincided with when uh, Ed contacted me about uh, when I was fab. So it seemed like something in the universe was pointing me that direction. Okay, so what what actual, I mean, so the, the science podcast, I mean, what science podcast do you actually listen to? Well, what podcast in general do you actually listen to? Uh, well, let me think. What else? I've also listened to a podcast that my, uh, my ex-wife recommended on Star Trek. Okay. Um, so, you know, I, I can remember subjects. I don't really, it would usually be I'd be in the car or something and listening. And it's like, well, you could listen to this on podcast. And I'd go look it up. But it just never really made that much of an impression on me, which I know is sad, you know, uh, in a show about podcasting. <laughs> but I, I wasn't really paying that much attention. You know, the information was good for me but the uh the platform wasn't particularly that interesting now i find that there's a, a lot of you know cool stuff out there but um i came late to the party actually yeah because i started listening to him in the late noughties i think 2009 or something like that that's when i first really? started no, listening that... to podcasts <laughs> no that's uh, not then you know you you hear about them <laughs> but uh, uh i just i didn't follow anything in particular when i first started listening to them actually i thought you had to pay for them and i think oh, i don't want to pay for that i'm already paying for this and this and this so. right makes sense you know uh you know there was some years there uh my son was born in 2007 and um, uh, we just ended up, you know, we listened to a lot of Walk Off the Earth and Taylor Swift. So. Okay, yeah. Taylor Swift. <laughs> really? <laughs> I love Taylor Swift. She, ne- she needs to work with Paul. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened, you know. No. Because I, I do know that they get on with each other. Because there's that isn't there that footage of him actually playing bass for Shake It Off or something? I think <laughs> him, and, him, him and Dave Grohl on stage with Taylor Swift. <laughs> That's great. That that would be a, a trio I'd like to hang with. Absolutely. <laughs> I've just I've been reading Dave Grohl's work. And it's it's great. Um, Throw Alice Cooper in there, and you've got a great team there. <laughs> Right. Not the Hollywood vampires. Hey, this is Brian with Concerts That Made Us podcast, and you're listening to Pods Like Us, a great show about other great shows. See, I'm not that interested. I think you're incredibly <laughs> interested, actually. You'll, you'll suddenly have fans sending you mail. You'll get more mail than All that. right. Here you go. <laughs> I don't really know about that. It's um, a superstar. Yeah, I don't even know how how all this works. <laughs> you know, I show up on 
Sunday night when we record and, uh, you know, we, we talk a couple times during the week and, uh, and that's kind of what I do. He, he puts the shows together and he, uh, he does it all. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward actually to sometime soon where, where Lonnie will be back involved again and you'll all three be on the same show together, hopefully. Uh, yeah, uh, who did, we did one show with with uh, Darren, and we've done one show with Kit. Um, so we're going to do one with Lonnie coming up. That'll be fun. Absolutely. I don't think I've even, don't think I've even spoken to Lonnie in longer than I can say. You know, maybe a a text or something. But that's that's about it. It it'd be like a it'd be like you know a reassembly of the of the three amigos, should we say? <laughs> See if you can do the yeah, dance as well indeed. to go with it. <laughs> yes, um, yeah. So that that could be fun. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, you know, I'm working on. Uh, so I was going to actually say, out of interest, and I'm going to have to go to this because I've been thinking about it all the way through. So what is this project that you're actually working on? Um, well, I moved to a, a town in East Texas uh, and uh, turns out that it had a huge influence on the state history of, of why Texas is the way it is. And and I'll let everybody ponder what that statement means. Um, and uh, and so there's a story, a local story, about right after the Civil War, and um, it has to do with you know gunfight in the in the town square. And the story itself was like, well, it's kind of interesting. Um, and then when I started looking into it. Uh, the actual history of it is a lot more complex and extends from before Texas was even a state all the way through uh, the end of the 19th century. So um, uh, I don't want to go into too much detail, but uh, this was a real... um, central point in race relations and how the state uh, evolved and that's kind of <laughs> what that book's about wow uh, yeah so you know how, how far we're, you, we're, are you into really, it well I've spent about two years researching it um, because you had to go through civil war records and military records and what we have here in town. And, and so, you know, I did initially start off just working on this story about what happened in the town square. Um, uh, and it, the more I learned, the more I realized, well, this, this is really kind of bigger because there's a figure in, in Texas history who uh, is the guy who took Texas out of the Union um, illegally, as it turns out, 
but uh, he kind of destroyed Sam Houston's career, and and he was actually after the Civil War, the man that Texas chose to send back up to Washington uh, to represent the state. Right, and the and the uh, politicians up there said, "Well, that's crazy. You're not going to send the guy who who took you out, you know, seceded, and just sending him right back here." And so they didn't seat him, and um, and that had a huge influence on what happened later. He he became a Supreme Court uh, justice in Texas, became a governor helped found the University of Texas. Um, but he was he was kind of committed to what is currently referred to as white supremacy. Right. Um, so he had a huge influence on, on the state. So uh, the thing interesting for me, there's, there's a book out right now called Forget the Alamo. Okay, and there's there's a controversy going on about the telling of the story. You know, right now we tend to teach myth, and you know, there's an argument to be made that you know myth inspires and uh, is a can be a good thing, but it rarely tells the truth. It tends to marginalize stories that are important, and so huge controversy in in San Antonio right now because they're actually working on uh, expanding the the story that would include the Native Americans who were there, the Hispanic community, and you know what was really going on. But there are those people who want the John Wayne version of the Alamo. Yep. And so there's that fight. And that's tied into this whole um, discussion now about critical race theory or the 1619 Project. And, you know, there are people who really don't want the history of the country told or taught in a way that uh, would be more honest. They would prefer the the myth. So I see that in the book I'm writing and some of the other things that are going on in the country and in the state. Uh, So that's where we're at. Wow. Wow. So have you got like a publisher and a date for that? Well, I have some people working on it. The thing is, um, uh, it's taken me, I mean, I'm right at the point where, okay, now I'm going to start putting things together. You know, I've, I've written s- some things here and there, but it, it needs a continuing narrative, which I don't really have. So uh, I finished the research. I, I know what I need to know. So uh, now it's to really work on the on the narrative. So I know I don't have a, a publishing date or anything like that, but right, okay. So you've not got a publisher or anything backing you either, or or have you? Well, I've I, no, no. There's a historical society that I'm working with, um, 
And, you know, I'm learning how to work that terrain as well. You know, um, it does require getting interest in, in various groups. So the first thing I'm going to do is work with this, uh, the Smith County Historical Society and uh, give some talks and hopefully get some talk and interest going. That's definitely fascinating. I'm, I'm sure that you'll have people, you know, in historical societies clamoring for things like that, really. Well, I hope so. You know, um, uh, it, there is a political climate here that makes it more difficult than it should be. Yeah. You know, uh, because I think the position that I am taking with this is not necessarily going to follow in line with the accepted narrative. And so, you know, some people will be all about that. Some people won't. Yes. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd like, um, I mean, I remember that, uh, there's that phrase, isn't there? I don't know who came up with it. Was it where, you know, history is um, written by the, um, by the <laughs> victors? By the victor. Or something, yes. and, you know, and to, to to a degree that's true. But it'd be nice if we start to actually have truth rather than you know assumed truth or truths that people make up. Should we say? Right. Well, we uh, we as a country um, you know the, the truth is is that the idea of one race being dominant has been a part of our history. Yeah. And, and it's been, I don't know, 130 years, not longer than that really. But, uh, you know, the, the greatness of our country is that we do evolve and we do change and you, you know, uh, what has occurred in this country in the past century is pretty incredible, you know, with women's suffrage and civil rights and the women's movement and the ecology. I mean, there's a lot of things that have, have, uh, occurred because we, we can do that without too much problem, but there is a portion of our country who still believe that the, the introduction into our society of other cultures is not a strength, but it's a weakness. And that's why we find ourselves, I think, in the difficulty we are in right now. Absolutely. Well, this turned political real fast, didn't it? It really did, didn't it? Right. Let's get back to the podcast <laughs> again. So, um... so, sorry, sorry about the turn. No, I think I think it makes it I think it makes it more interesting for people because you know now people know that you're more than just the Beatles, man. Well, yes, I am, and and yet you know the Beatles influenced my way of thinking, I believe. So there's there's a tie. I, you know, I I uh, I'm fully aware that uh, lyrics and thoughts and you know they they had a huge influence on me. So, hey, this is Tim for Bad Counsel. You want some good counsel? Keep listening to the smooth, dulcet tones of Marv on Pods Like Us. 
Absolutely. I personally don't see how you can be a really conservative person and be a Beatles fan. <laughs> but I know there are. But <laughs> No, no, I, I, don't, I don't really get that either. Yeah. It's like, um, what is it, going into that other thing that you didn't really touch on, you just mentioned in passing about, you know, the Star Trek thing. It's like people uh, moaning about inclusivity in the new Star Trek, and I think, yeah, but... <laughs> <laughs> There's been inclusivity right. in Star Trek since day one, you know, because you know you had the the black uh, communications officer, and you got the, the the Chinese man at the helm. I mean, you know, so and then then the the, the Russian, the Russian, and you know, you've got an alien there as the science officer, and you know, it always was that way. It's just that the world's changed right. in that time, and the show's changed to re- to reflect the times. That it's in. I mean, I mean, I mean, really. But you know, it, that, that was a continuing yeah. battle because uh, Gene Roddenberry. I mean, they were concerned about the sales of the series in the South because of Uhura, and that uh, Spock looked satanic. Yes. Yep. Uh, some of the early pictures, publicity pictures of Star Trek, had his ears airbrushed. It, it, just incredible to think of that yeah. they actually did that, but but they you know they put uh, Chekhov in there in the midst of the in the height of the Cold War, you know here's a Russian who's coming in so but with, a, with a fantastic Davy Jones wig, <laughs> yes indeed, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but you know he that was a a battle he fought his whole. His whole broadcasting life was but, so. When when the next generation came out, that was no doubt that that was uh, the way it was supposed to be. Absolutely. I, I mean, I mean, from day one, the program was always full of um, um, the subject matter was always very often based on what was going on in the world around that time. So you had the uh, the you had, you had racism that was approached basically racism but they, they approached it in a different way so that they could get away with it so you'd have this planet with two races one was white on one side black on the other side <laughs> the faces so they had that as the right. racial issue which you know I, I don't know how it got by the, um, the 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 studios really because that was so obvious and then and then you had anti-war uh, episodes as well because you, you had um, you know Vietnam probably started by then, so you know, but it was always that way inclined. It was always that way with the inclusivity and with the subject matter. Yeah, well, you know, the first interracial t- kiss on TV was Kirk and Uhura. You know, um, so the they first, were always first use of the word damn. <laughs> oh, no, not damn. Hell. <laughs> He says, let's get the hell out of here, doesn't he, at the end of ah. um, the fantastic city on the edge of forever. <laughs> I would have thought it was uh, Bones. Damn it, Jim. I'm a doctor. <laughs> oh, yes, that's, that's him keep saying, damn it. Yeah, but, yeah. But, uh, As a matter of fact, my, so- my, uh, my wife had, uh, there was a chat room years ago, and one of the guys' names w- was Damn It, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. 
I missed chat rooms. Those were the days. <laughs> right. Dear me. Right. K- kids don't know the born today. Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it was a it was a different world. It happens fast, you know. Uh, uh, I, I tell my son sometimes my biggest regret is that I don't get to see what comes okay. next. Okay, biggest regret is that I don't get to see what comes next. I mean, I, I just feel like we're on the edge of great things, you know, of the in space and in uh in the ocean and i mean they're we're just right on and and energy we're right on the edge and i don't know how much longer i'm going to make it <laughs> dear me well you we've made it long enough to see bill shatner actually go into space go into space and and i'd lived long enough to see the entire uh rooftop concert yes uh, yep I've got that. And I got to forward to. <laughs> yes, yes. So, where can people get hold of you if they want to, and how can they uh, find the show? Well, the show is when they was fab, and I believe it's on Podbean. It I, you, you find it where where you uh, find your finest podcasts. Um, yeah. And, you know, if you want to get a hold of me, uh, you can write me at Liddypool. Get that? L I D D Y P O O L 20 at gmail.com. That's great. Anyway, John, this was um, fantastic talking with you. It was, uh, shall we say, yeah. fab and gear. <laughs> it, it, indeed. It was a lot of fun and. And uh, I'll have to listen to it uh, so I can find out more about me. Cause That's right. It was, all, it was all on the fly. That's brilliant. That's great. And I still think that the Beatles need to come out with a clothing range now that's based on all those clothes from Get Back. Because <laughs> those shirts are incredible. It's, it's true. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, some of the, some of the fashions are just... I mean, you could do a whole whole thing with uh, Glenn Johns alone. Oh, yeah. The other day somebody put uh, Glenn Johns Elton John before Elton John was Elton John. (laughs) Well, there you go. Maybe he was influenced. Uh, (laughs) That's that's true. Well, we'll... That's true. Anyway, you can get hold of Pods Like Us at... Yeah, go on, John. No, I... N- nothing that I was saying at that point <laughs> was important at all. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. So you can get hold of Pods Like Us at podslikeus at gmail.com and find us on any uh, podcasting platform. I don't know why I say all this, you know, John, because obviously they know where to find the show because they're listening to it. They're listening to it right now. That's, That's right. right. I, 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 just, I, just keep <laughs> listening. Right. But, uh, what is it? Ring the bell or something? You know, something subscribe. Like that. That's right. Come back. Yeah, subscribe, follow, like, <laughs> do all those <laughs> groovy things. Yes. <laughs> well, this was a lot of fun, and thanks for having me. Thank you very much, John. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and hope you listened again to another episode of Pod Like Us. 
Hello? Okay. Turn the volume up. Now I can hear you. You can hear me? I can hear you. That's good. Can you hear me? I can hear you as well. Yep. Well, then it's working, I guess. I guess. I have no idea. I've never used Zencaster as a host before. No. Well, it's just like this. Obviously. Obviously. I'll <laughs> <coughs> have to excuse me. I've got an infection. Okay, we, the world has an infection. We do, but luckily it's not that. It's not that. Well, so, I, I, I was I not. just to that. Yeah. There's, there's all sorts of stuff going wrong with this. So let's see. I'm looking at your outline here. Uh, outline bullet list. Let's see. Because we we don't need to go into how the show's put together and how it's edited and where, where the idea of the show came from. Because because I've already had um, the best editor in podcast show before that. All the, all the podcasting stuff because. <laughs> The truth is, is, Ed does all that. I show up. That's that's yeah. my my big I'm, podcast experience. I'm not, I'm not trying to be sarcastic with that either. I'm I'm very um, yeah. I think Ed is an incredible podcaster. Yeah, he's he's made it he's made it very easy for me to just. I mean, you know, we'll probably get into the history of how I all came to this, but. Uh, uh, yeah, it was real easy, and I just kind of walked in and didn't know what was going on. So, a lot. What my my talent really was, I could just kind of uh, talk about the Beatles for a while. Okay, well, we'll get we'll get into the show straight away then. I'm looking forward to getting to know the the man behind John Stone. <laughs> oh dear, the man behind the books. Well, maybe maybe I'll discover a few things too as we go. I didn't know that about myself. That was me today. I was supposed <laughs> to do an hour or an hour and a half as a guest on somebody's show, where they were invent- interviewing me. Funny enough, and um, it ended up being three and a half to three three and three quarter of hours, and I, I just kept talking and talking and. <laughs> I think yes. I think I surprised him because I, I kept mentioning things that you know, it was like, oh, I never expected to hear that. So we're talking about the Beatles right. and the music and Queen, and um, I got Bob Dylan in there. He's not a fan of Bob Dylan, and um, well, he's not worth talking to then. Uh, well, well, there you go. You see, and um, you, you have to allow some people just to just to be wrong in life. I suppose. Yeah, you you have to. Because they are, you have, yeah. You have to take them as they are, even though they are wrong to have that opinion about Bob. It's true. You know, I had but, kind um, of a similar experience. Uh, I had an opportunity to talk to Yoko, uh, and um, it was supposed to last like ten minutes, and it went for almost an hour and a half. <laughs> which is really I would be quite fascinated. I'd, I'd have a lovely long chat with with Yoko. She's an incredible woman. Got to be said. In many ways, 
artistically and as a person in the self. But when when I said I was interviewed, you know, that I had interviewed Yoko, I was surprised at the the blowback. Like, oh my god, what was that like? It was like it was great, you know. She was mm. engaging and and you know nice and and you know the, the interview that was supposed to go for ten minutes went for an hour and a half. So uh, that was real real nice. I mean, I, I posted up. Yeah, I posted up something the other day. They were they're on about Yoko or whatever, and I said on this post, I put, um, I happen to love Yoko Ono and the Plastic Ono band, and I love the uh, the Fly album as well. Right. I think I think musically, the the, the very interesting albums, as, right. in, as a, you know, as a musician to listen to, and to see where where John was able to push himself as a guitarist, which I don't think in his solo career he was able to do as much as he was with Yoko's material. Yeah. I, th- I think it allowed him to just kind of let his freak flag fly. You know, he just did something that was uh, instinctive rather than, you know, Louise is just passing me a Beatles mug with a coffee, with a coffee in it. <laughs> uh, no. Which is rather fitting. <laughs> I've, I've over the years gotten my my wife to you know my one of my favorite Yoko quotes is what a world of ba- what a bastard the world is. She loved that. Yes. Like, yes, that's that's exactly. That's absolutely true. Absolutely true. I think. Um, okay, so we'll we'll start this show now because we're <laughs> we seem we're, to be going into areas. That, right, we're you know, we're into it yeah. already. We're yeah. into it already. So, uh, yes, that was a lot of fun, John. Yeah, that was. That was that was all nice. I, I did, had no idea what to expect, and, and that was. No, I don't know what to expect from Ed when he's uh, he suggested these dates, hasn't he? And I'm thinking, ooh, so what, what day is the twelfth of the twelfth? Uh, let me see. I'm. I have that. Is, is that a Sunday here? They're all they're all Sundays, I believe. Twelfth. He's, he's put to me. He's put the twelfth of the twelfth, or the or, or twelve eleven. Hold on, let me see. That's not what I want. He sent me. A list of what was coming up. See, see, to me, on a, on a su- Sunday, to me, it'd be the problem. The problem is the uh, the the uh, the time difference. So, to me, it'd be good at say half past two in the afternoon, but then that would be half past eight in the morning for yourselves. Oh, right, which is right. a bit early for a Sunday, I'm guessing. Yeah, it could be, but you know, I don't know that it matters that much to me. Uh, I can certainly wake up and. As far as time wise, um, you know, I I will be accommodating of that. Whatever, whatever, uh, you know, if Ed's willing to wake up early. Well, he was, he was, he, yeah. he stayed awake to talk to Nick the other day. Crikey. <laughs> but he just doesn't sleep. I know. I mean, I'll be, I don't think so, sir. So. You know, my, my best research writing time is is late at night you know my wife and, uh, 
child are in bed and asleep. And so I come up to the office and, and start writing and I'll be going at, you know, two thirty, three o'clock and it'll pop up and, you know, send me something. <laughs> it's like, wow. So I, but, but I'm awake, so I guess he could be too, but I think I get up earlier than he does. So it's, it's 11th is the Saturday and the 12th is the Sunday. So I'm open to either of those at half past eight in the morning, your time. So okay. if you both want to discuss that between you and I'm, I'm okay with either the Saturday or the Sunday. Okay. The 11th or the 12th. Um, all right. Uh, I'll write that down. Okay. I'll see what he wants to do. And, and if he doesn't want to do that at all, I'll let him contact you and negotiate. Yes, because if, if, if he wants to do it later in the day, well, then we'll have to do it by the phone, and he doesn't like using Zoom. Ah, okay, yeah. Because uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be driving a van. At, I'll be even if, even if I'm on a break, I'll be driving a van at that point, so I won't have a laptop or a computer with me. No, and that's not that's not what we do. No. We don't drive and do other things. No, we don't because that's dangerous. Yeah. It is. <laughs> I park up when I've done that before, actually. Anyway, John, I'll let you get on. Thank you. Well, I hope to talk to you again soon. Me too. Uh, obviously, this, obviously, the 11th or 12th will be one. So That'll be great. Okay. Thank you. Take care, John. Take, take care, Martin. Thank All you. Right. Bye-bye. Bye.